0: Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z, and I are recording this on Sunday, November 15th. And Dan, a lot has changed since you and I last recorded the show. Um, and in fact, some of it is still in the process of changing. Um, but I guess it, it, in today's world, that's that's the one constant change. Um, and speaking of change, uh, do you have something you want to share with the rest of the class?
1: I do, I do, absolutely. Well, hey, everybody, uh, I have some uh, kind of bittersweet news. Jim and I have been talking, and I'm going to be stepping aside as the co-host of Looking at Lucasfilm. And to be super crystal clear, which, of course, we always are on the show, Jim and I had the best time working together. I have looked up to Jim Hill as a friend and a mentor. Well, he was a – first of all, you were just that guy that was on with Len Tess and I thought, my goodness, this guy is smart. My goodness, this guy is entertaining. And I, at one point, you came on Coffee with Kenobi, and I remember thinking that we kind of struck it gold a little bit because I'd always admired you. And then we started up a friendship. We met at celebration. I saw you at a at the Star Tours thing for the Last Jedi. We're actually, that's one one of the few times we got to actually spend a little face to face time together. You had I remember when you were talking about your sheer Marvel show. I had emailed you and said, "Hey, uh, if you ever want to do a look a, a Star Wars show, I'd love to do it with you." And not thinking that you would even even see the email, let alone agree to it. And then you responded rather quickly, and then. Boom, the rest is history, and I have enjoyed every second of my time with, of course, with Jim May with looking at Lucasfilm. But as many of you know, uh, Coffee with Kenobi continues to grow and flourish. My time continues to be drawn to that because not only am I a podcaster, but I'm also a teacher. And with the book coming out and all of the press stuff I've done and all the other things that are on the horizon for me. I realized I really need to put all of my eggs into that basket. And while it certainly breaks my heart, I mean, I, and I, now I'm just talking to you directly, Jim. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I absolutely love you. You're one of my favorite people and I am very appreciative of the opportunity to work with you. And I know that even though I'll be turning off this microphone, uh, I know that is only just a temporary thing that you and I will be chatting and sharing news and information and catching up about our families until we're old and gray. So I'm so grateful to have been able to be a part of the show with you.
0: Well, if we're talking old and gray, that's this week for me. Okay. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, look, folks, I'm not going to lie to you. When I first learned of Dan's decision, I was obviously disappointed. I've enjoyed working with this guy for the past two and a half plus years. We've done 52 episodes of looking at Home today. This broadcast will be our 53rd. Uh, the first one, uh, Dan, became available for downloading back in April of 2018. Um, but that said, though this podcast will continue in one form or another, as will Dan and my friendship, we've got, what, three episodes of Looking at Lucasfilm left to do together after this one. Um That's Dan's right. looking to uh, step away in from the show in late December, make a clean break from the podcast as 2021 is getting underway. So, like I said, three looking at looking to go, well, four, if you count this one, uh, before Dan goes. Uh, and taking that into account, we're going to try to make these next two shows extra special. So, moving from that bit of news to the news news. Um, I, Dan, have you been following what's going on with uh, James Arnold Taylor, uh, the veteran voice actor who who did General Kenobi on Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series?
1: I think he's a great guy and a, one of the finest Christian men that I've met in this business. Mm-hmm. And I do not believe for one second that he did anything to offend anybody. Well,
0: I, same thing here. I've always enjoyed Mr. Taylor's work. George Lucas himself <laughs> has said it was basically aimed at entertaining 12-year-olds. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, and then it, then it stops becoming about Star Wars and becomes about something else that has nothing to do with everything that we love about uh, this franchise.
0: Well, but that's the thing. What I, I, I'm fascinated by George's thing when he, he, you know, and, and again, if you're paying attention, George mentions that Star Wars is, he views as important to kids for a lot of reasons. In fact, uh, there's a quote where somebody asked, well, why did you say entertaining 12-year-olds? And he said, well, you know, when you're 12 years of age, a, a direct quote from George here, you're about to enter the real world. You're moving away from your parents. You're probably scared. You don't know what's going to happen here's what you should pay attention to. Friendship, honesty, trust, doing the right thing, living on the light side, avoiding the dark side. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, that really is, if you're you're, you're paying attention to the broader Star Wars world, these are the concept, these movies and these books and these TV shows are trying to put across, right?
1: Absolutely. 100%. That's what the mythology is about. That's that's what it was about um, when it started, and mm-hmm. that's why people like it so much, it, because it, it's a fun, as you said, it's a nice, fun escape, and that's the way that it should be. And I remember hearing, that's a great quote that you found, and I remember him saying something similar, mm-hmm. Celebration Anaheim, uh, mm-hmm. no, Celebration Orlando, mm-hmm. uh, what was that, back in 2017, so yeah.
0: Dan, I have to tell you, it concerns me a little bit about this new female-centric Star Wars show that Leslie Headland is developing for, for Disney Plus. Have you heard about this one?
1: Yeah, um, I have. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, now for those of you who don't know, folks, Leslie is one of the creators of Russian Doll, that comedy drama series that debuted on Netflix uh, back in fe- February 2019. And uh, the the logline for this new Lucasfilm television production is that it's going to be a female-driven action thriller with martial art elements that set in an Alternate timeline from the usual Star Wars universe, um, and for me, Dan, I, I get worried that with that sort of style, uh, you know, with that sort of uh, storyline, uh the people who were vocal about Rose Tico and made Kelly Marie Tran's life so miserable that she actually left Instagram back in June of 2018. Um, I worry that they'd they'd go after whoever plays the lead in this show as well, because uh, again, in in this small select group of toxic Star Wars fans, eyes a woman isn't ever supposed to be the central character in a Star Wars project. Um, but but that said, then I think I could be wrong. I mean, think about it. When Gina Carano, mm-hmm. I want to say, who plays the Cara Dune character. Right. Uh came on the scene in chapter 4 of season 1 of The Mandalorian. Uh I want to say that episode was called Sanctuary. Sounds uh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh directed by Bryce uh Dallas Howard. That's right. Uh Star Wars fans seem to get right behind Cara Dune very quickly, you know. Uh kind of like this past weekend when Katie Sackhoff uh made her debut as Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. Uh, Bo-Katan, say, this is, I'm going to miss this, Dan. Somebody can actually <laughs> correct me when I get these things wrong. Uh, but again, that's the uh, chapter 11 of The Mandalorian. Uh, by the way, another episode uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. This one uh, entitled The Heiress. Um, yes. By the way, I, I, I just, quick sad note here. Have you heard about this this petition that just popped up online? Almost immediately after The Heiress aired. Um, this one I, th- I think you're going to love. All right. Because actually it buries the needle in the exact opposite direction. Based on how well this episode of The Mandalorian, t- Mandalorian turned out, as well as how enjoyable Sanctuary was last year, there are now Star Wars fans who are petitioning Lucasfilm, insisting that Bryce Dallas Howard be given a Star Wars movie of her own to direct. Oh, that'd be great. Um, but, but here's the kicker yet. Not just any Star Wars film. They want Bryce Dallas Howard to be given the opportunity to direct the sequel to Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, oh, which, sure. Which I don't need to tell you was actually directed by Bryce's dad, Ron Howard, uh, who, right. who came to the rescue after... Kathleen uh, Kennedy had uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh, removed as directors of Solo back in June of 2017. But Mm. this is what fascinates me about Star Wars fans. Um, They only seem to get toxic when it comes to certain females. I mean, Carrie Fisher, Bryce Dallas Howard, Katie Sackhoff, they get a pass. Whereas Kelly Marie Tran does not. And, and Daisy Ridley and Felicity Jones, eh, sort of, I mean, depending on what corner of the Star Wars community you look in, there are people who, who pick it. Um, mm-hmm. Jin Urso or, or uh, you know, or Um. Well, anyway, um, okay. Uh, lots of excitement about the arrival. And again, I'm going to blow it again. Bo- Beau- Katan. Katan, okay. Uh, I, I, but let's be honest, I think a lot of that, has to do with the, the, you know, the line that got thrown away about to the effect of, okay, you know, you have to go to this planet to to meet with Ahsoka Tana. Um, you know, uh, not on the next episode, I'm thinking, but but Probably likely not. very, very soon. But I have to ask at this point, we're three episodes into season
1: two of The Mandalorian. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think the season has been tremendous. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that the 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 first and the the new episode have been great. I I didn't love the one with the passenger because I was really frustrated with baby Yoda, but that's certainly been talked about plenty online. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think that ILM is doing insanely beautiful work, just absolutely mind blowing work for a streaming service. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: music has been stellar. Their direction has been great. Uh, You know, the, the, the episode where we got to see, the return of Boba Fett's armor and all the mm-hmm. mystery and the intrigue the winter and in that. and Timothy Oliphant was amazing. Oh, Bo-Katan yeah. was great. The action was exciting. Again, the effects are just absolutely out of this world. And the fact that we're seeing Din and the Mandalorian, slowly but surely become more and more thawed on the inside. And he's just much more nurturing of the child. Uh, the, the revelation, which we did talk about in the Star Wars book, but the revelation of the fact that the way when Mm -hmm. they say this is the way is a very extreme sect of Mandalorians and that's why people take off their helmets in fact on my show Coffee with Kenobi Pablo said yes people have said that Sabine takes off her helmet all the time and don't they know that and he said well Dave does know that because he created Sabine and he also helped create Din Djarin so Mm -hmm. this is just a different aspect uh, of one branch of Mandalorian culture and the more we learn, the more exciting it's going to be. And, and what one thing we do know is, it's never good to be a stormtrooper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, if we might, for, for just a moment, I, I you know the I you you talk you know in a glancing sort of way about the the, the child with the, the frog lady's eggs. Mm-hmm. Look, as a writer, you know somebody who worked on scripts decades ago. For me, when I saw that. You know, story thread in the passenger. For me, that was a callback to the the, the piece in the san- in sanctuary, where the child at one point was playing with a frog, and the next time we turned around, it was in its mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, 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 it for me again, it was it was a tie back to an earlier bet, an earlier gag, uh, and I think in hindsight. You know, that that portion of the script where the frog lady, you know, talked about how, you know, this is the last, you know, her last opportunity for her husband and her to, you know, push this species forward. And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we could have lost those lines or two. Maybe, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with this, you know, how certain women are, are reacting to the episode at this point have you seen
1: some of the reports uh, not reports it's not the right word but have you seen some of the speculation that perhaps the child was just ingesting these to protect them um, when you look because when you look at when he when he goes into those crank of those spiders he he literally bites into those eggs and tries to bite them in half but these eggs he just sort of slurps them down and then he keeps sort of hugging the canister lovingly. So I don't know. I hope that's true.
0: I you know, I, I I'm sorry. I'm 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 kind of a there are moments when I, I, I drift back to my Sigmund Freud and sometimes Dan's cigar <laughs> is just a cigar. You know, if if I see a little kid shoving something in his mouth, I don't think, oh, he's keeping it warm for later.
1: It's like, right. No. I don't I don't agree with that theory either, but I hope uh, it's true. Now, speaking
0: of the, 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 the spider creatures. Um, Krinkas, I believe they're called. Krinkas, okay. And, again, what's interesting to me, and, again, this seems to be kind of a running thread of the show, that uh, these characters, creatures were originally designed by Ralph McQuarrie for Empire Strikes Back. They were supposed to be among mm. the animals Luke encountered on Dagobah. And, it, again, it was one of these things where it's like, great painting, how the hell do we do that? We're not doing that character. And move on. Um, but at the same time, I I know that's not necessarily your favorite episode of the first three here. Have to admit, I'm intrigued by who they brought in to direct that. Did you see who the who that was?
1: Oh yeah, which and I feel like uh, one of the um characters slash props from the Ant Man movies was mm-hmm. playing Sabak. There we go. There we go. So uh, yeah, Peyton Reed.
0: Yes. and you know, I'm. I, and again, when you think about, I, I'm particularly impressed. If you think about it, Favreau wrote the first three scripts for this season.
1: Yeah, he's written uh, he's and, written all the scripts for every episode. Period.
0: Go yeah, yeah. and the fact that uh, he he directed the Marshall and then turned around. We brought in Peyton Reed from you know, Marvel to do that episode, and then then to bring Bryce back in to, to do the Heiress. and and that turned out so beautifully. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, and that was so
1: Favreau's first directing gig on yeah. The Mandalorian. Was the
0: season two premiere?
1: Was it really? Because oh, he I didn't, didn't direct that. any from the first season.
0: Interesting. Okay, yeah. but but I I think again, people sometimes need to take, you know, the thirty thousand foot view. I mean, they they, for me, a lot of the reason that the things happened the way they did in uh chapter ten, was because again, the, the you know, we. You know the fact that somebody can jump the lightspeed and go across the universe. You know, uh, we're looking to complicate this character's life. Yes, uh, and so mission this, accomplished. There we go. So the fact that the Razor Crest is as beaten up as it is, mm-hmm. uh, in a weird sort of way. You know, it's a it's a lovely throwback to what a hunk of junk. You know that the, the, exactly. you know, the, 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 the you know the the into the whole thing with the Millennium Falcon. Oh, oh speaking of the Razor Crest. Did you see where just last week, uh, on November ninth, in fact, the crowdfunding effort that Hasbro put together for its Haslab? Yeah, um, the uh, the Razor Crest.
1: Uh, I I did. I I've been monitoring closely, and then at the very end, before the deadline, I jumped in and backed it too. Oh, good. Okay, so, again, I love the fact that they were
0: shooting for 6,000 backers and got 28,000. Yeah. Uh, so, that's wow. That's pretty good.
1: That's, you a, know, that's and, a pretty good fund.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. You know, and, again, folks, this is the supersized version of the Razor Crest. It's, what, 30 inches long, 20 mm. inches wide, and 10 inches tall. Uh, by the way, uh get production supposed to begin soon, but they're not supposed to ship till fall of 2021. That's which, right. Oddly enough, just in time for season three of The Mandalorian began airing on Disney+. Plus.
1: Um, and then the right the razor, the razor Crest is going, it may not even be around then, so maybe may be, uh, <laughs> nostalgic. Oh, oh, that would hurt. <laughs> it's yeah. like,
0: oh, well, we'll have to crowdfund the next thing, The Mandalorian, flies. That's right, and uh, everybody oh, will do way, it. There we go. Uh, by the way, I wanted to credit Shelly Valladolid. She, she's the one who g- gave me the heads up about uh, the, the Hasbro crowdfunding effort was coming to the end. I, I, it was my first time to the page and see how, what was it, five of the, you know, sort of if we make this amount of money, we unlock that. And Yeah,
1: you know. the tiers. Yeah, they had oh. they had the, the first one. Uh, let's see. They did an escape pod. They did carbonite. Uh, blocks. They did a, a, a stand to display now which is nice. They did a, a carded figure of the child and then they did one of the, the chief Jawa I, from the second yeah, episode. Yeah, which, which has what, an opened egg? Which, yes, disgusting. Bleh. Did you see they're selling that at Cele, for Celebration merchandise? They're selling oh, a, well, a big old fuzzy egg. <laughs> I do not want to think about this.
0: Okay, so just to, to look back to uh season two of Mandalorian of what we've seen so far. Uh you already mentioned Timp- Timothy Oliphant. I think he did uh, a great job as Cobb Vant that's a character I hope we again see again soon. Likewise, mm-hmm. um I you know you know I enjoy having Amy Sidaris on the canvas. Uh, you know just it's I, I'm I'm assuming given the shape that the razor crest is in it's eventually gonna have to go. Uh, back to Tatooine to get some work done. Um, I hope and, so. It needs a, yeah, it. Yeah, it the last episode. It looked like it was mostly held together with string, which uh, little concerning.
1: Um, yeah, and, and it's and it needs a serious um humid dehumidifier in there too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Um. Okay, talk to me about Timo Morrison uh do we think
1: he is who we think he is i mean he he would have to be i mean the the challenge is that of course to mirror more the boba fett character Mm -hmm. is a uh, you know a a modified clone so we can age Mm -hmm. normally but and it could be just a regular clone but that seems highly unlikely it it sure seems like it's boba fett
0: okay okay and and for me, again, I, I, I'm a big believer in the Chekhov thing of if you wield a gun in Act 1, you have to see it again in Act 2. I love yes. the fact that we saw Mof Gideon uh, you know, wielding the Darksaber at the end of, of Chapter 8 Redemption and mm-hmm. that it wasn't just a random piece of fan service, that it was actually setting up what looks to be a pretty significant storyline for Season 2.
1: Which makes sense because... We saw in Rebels, Bo-Katan take the the Darksaber, and then we you wonder, well, how did Moff Gideon get this thing? Did he kill Bo-Katan? Because the only way to get it is to defeat and battle the other person, but because he's an Imperial and because he's Moff Gideon, it seems like he probably stole it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: the impression that I'm getting. So if we're going to get a showdown between those two at some point, that's going to be spectacular.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, I have to admit, you know, we've got you know, at least five more episodes for this season to go. And I'm really intrigued to see where they go. The one thing I'm kind of startled about is we've had, by my count, at least three scenes where the child was in not just a potential danger, but really serious danger. Oh, Uh, you know, and um, they seem to really be stepping that up this season.
1: I predicted that because everyone's fallen so in love with the child, that it would constantly be in peril and it was going to be very, very stressful. Mm-hmm. And that has certainly been the case. I mean, my gosh, it was, it was completely swallowed whole by some underwater yeah. creature. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, and another challenge that this show faces, which is a, is a good thing narratively is that it's not like Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda, where we, you know, their fate, we don't know mm-hmm. the fate of the, of Din Djarin and the child. So, the potential for great peril and in, in cost is there because we don't know the end of their story.
0: Mm, well, for me, it just looks like they they have kind of a tough road ahead, you know, especially with this quest to find the Jedi. So, Yeah. Um, and speaking of ahead, on the second half of today's show, Dan and I are going to take a closer look at Red Tails. But first, quick break. Okay, we're back. And before we get started here, Dan, I understand that you have had the chance to preview the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, which uh, debuts on Tuesday, November Mm -hmm. 17th, which Mm -hmm. is 42 years to that day that the original Star Wars Holiday Special uh, first aired on CBS back in 78. So
1: what can you tell us? All I can say Mm -hmm. is that I loved it. I loved it. It's going to put a smile on your face. You are. It's. You're going to love it. That's all I can say. But trust me, it's going to be worth the wait. Okay. All right. I was worried that was as
0: deep as you were going to go. Curse you, non-disclosure agreements. But okay. All right. I'm. I'm, I'm there. It's, I'm, it's
1: fair to say we'll be looked at more favorably than the uh, original one that you uh, mentioned. Well, What that's the old, you know,
0: Statler and Waldorf joke. what is it? I've seen better film on teeth. You know. <laughs>
1: You know, just <laughs> that's right. a great one. Okay. Well, all right.
0: Anyway, last Wednesday, folks, November 11th was Veterans Day. Uh, and as we talked about on, on the last episode of Looking at Lucasfilm, Lucasfilm is in the middle of doing a big push to commemorate the Tus- Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, in fact, the entire Walt Disney company is behind this. Uh, I don't know if you, um, you saw this, Dan, but uh, Robin Roberts of, of uh, Good Morning America fame, uh as as they were talking about the dedicated website, the new documentary brought up the fact that her father, colonel Lawrence e. Roberts, uh who we lost back on uh in October of two thousand and four was actually a pilot with the Tuskegee
1: airmen no, I did not know that that's amazing
0: yeah um well anyway uh okay again, we've talked on a previous show about Uh, George, being fascinated by the Tuskegee Airmen, learned of their story in 1988. And uh, the original plan was that he would make a movie about these courageous black pilots uh, and then have it ready for release to theaters in 1992. Uh, That's not quite how it worked out. Uh, In fact, in an interview with USA Today in 2012, uh, Lucas talked about how Red Tails wound up being like like the new hope or, or a new hope original Star mm-hmm. Wars movie in that, uh, quoting from the interview here. And it's like, so I wrote the script and there was just too much story for one movie. The first it was a story about the, how these black pilots got uh, trained at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama and know, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and became their champion. And, and then there was the battle movie, which is what originally piqued my in- interest initially. And then there was the fact that so many of the Tuskegee Airmen then went on to play crucial roles that, the civil uh, rights movement after the war. So the Tuskegee Airmen t- turned into this epic tale that, that went on for 20 tumultuous years of American history and, and trying to fit all that into to one film. It, it, we once considered doing this movie like Lawrence of Arabia, three or four hour long epic. It just it was just too much. So it, at that point, we just refocused the project, zeroing in on the war story and hinting at, at the rest. Um, and I think we talked about on the the other uh the earlier show about uh, red tails dan how george walked his project all over hollywood and couldn't get a single one of the major studios to shoulder the entire cost of the production which was why george wound up paying for it himself uh 58 million dollars and uh i tried to confirm that the only other time he did that was Empire, but um, again, could not you know find you know anything that would back that up. Um, that sounds
1: right, honestly. Okay. That sounds right.
0: Okay. Anyway, uh, he George began to look around for a director, and he eventually found one in Anthony Hemingway, who, interestingly enough, started out in the business as a production assistant on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Um, so he gets hired to be the director of Red Tails in 2008. March of 2009, um, principle of photography begins in the Czech Republic and Croatia, uh, which uh, double for Germany and Italy in World War II. Uh, kind of an interesting side note here. Uh, one of the reasons that George wanted this film to be shot in the Czech Republic is they had filmed previously several episodes of The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones in uh, the Czech Republic, and we're eager to return there for, for Red Tails because it's like uh, uh, Rick McCallum, the, the producer, uh, said that we're we have consistently been impressed by this country's talented film professionals, the high quality of the local craftsmanship, and the beauty of the Czech Republic's varied locations. So I just it fascinates me that you know ten years after. They did the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. It's like, ooh, we have to go back there. You know, that would be great. Um, On the other hand, you know, again, anyone who's seen the film today knows the wonderful CG uh, work that's done in it. You know, you would expect no less from, you know, Lucasfilm and ILM. But the funny thing is the aerial scenes in Red Tails, Dan, were done in classic World War II fashion. They they were shot in a a gimbal-mounted cockpit, at Pitt, as well as with mock-up fuselages and wings uh they were in front of a green screen uh but it was still classic 1940s style um you know a, a world war ii film production yeah uh, yeah. now uh following that uh shoot in 2009 a year of special effects works follows uh a rough cut is then assembled and then showed to a number of Lucas's friends, including Ron Howard and Steven Spielberg. And and then in March of 2010, George himself takes over the direction of Red Tails reshoots. Um, Now it's the story that's told in town basically is uh, Anthony Hemingway is, is now far too busy working on trim uh, for HBO to return and, and direct the, the reshoots himself. But, What's kind of interesting is George not only takes over the, the reshoots, but he brings in Boondock's comic strip director, uh, Aaron MacGruber. Uh He comes in very late to rewrite uh, many of the scenes that George reshot. Um, and what kind of intrigues me is when George talks about this movie, uh, he says flat out that one of the main reasons he was originally drawn to this material wasn't necessarily that, um, you know, he wanted to shine a spotlight on these heroic black pirates who, you know, uh, flew during World War II, but rather because Red Tails was finally going to allow George to revisit a type of film he'd fallen in love with as a child. And that was the old fashioned war film, the one that was loaded with dogfights. And, uh, you know, George goes on to say, look, I love dogfights. And I know how to do them. And anybody who's watched a Star Wars film knows that. Um, but in, in an interview that he did prior to the release of Red Tails in January of 2012, um, he, he says, look, I told Anthony, you worry about the actors and the story on the ground. And I'll worry about the one hour that this movie is up in the air. Um, and uh, George Sand went on to say, for me, Red Tails is like Flying Leathernecks, which is a John Wayne movie from 1951 about the battle for Guadalcanal. It's corny, it's uber patriotic, but it's also a really exciting action-adventure movie. And that's what I wanted Red Tails to be, too. As for the racism in our story, it's embedded in the material. There's no getting around it. We just had to be careful not to overdo it. So, like we said, George wanted to make a message movie that honored these guys, but at the same time, he wanted to make his World War II movie. Um, and but, but then to get... Entirely down to it, Dan. What George really wanted to do was to, to do right by the surviving mem- members of the Tuskegee Airmen. And, and as he began working on this movie, um, he would regularly show work-in-progress versions of Red Tails to surviving members of the units who were now in their 80s and 90s. And you know, always with the goal of honoring what they have done in World War II, but then also with an eye toward getting the little things right, as well as the big things. Um, And great quote here at the end. It's like, in the end, getting the approval of the surviving members of the Tuskegee Airmen was was both the biggest honor and the biggest relief of all. In the end, I just wanted to get Red Tails right, but I was also trying to get it done. We had the airmen up at Skywalker Ranch two and three times a year over the past decade, and my goal was to finish this film for these guys while they were still alive. Um, and of course the irony is red tails finally arrives in theaters in January, 2012. And think about it. He's making this movie with a lot of guys who long since retired from the military careers and that sort of thing. And this is the exact moment when George himself is looking to retire and sell Lucasfilm off to Disney. That's right. Uh, Yep. All right. So speaking of, we jump ahead to today, 2020 when black lives, uh, is, is more than a mantra. You know, it's something people are really trying to take into, you know, the, the way they approach life. And the interesting thing is, and here's a movie that kind of got overlooked, swept under the rug as Disney was getting ready to purchase Lucasfilm for $4 billion, you know, $500 million. And it's now receiving this huge push from Lucasfilm and Disney, largely because it honors these this brave group of african-american pilots who fought so hard and gave so much during world war ii and uh, forgive me dan if this sounds trite or obvious to say this now but black lives really did matter back in world war ii um these brave pilots as the film shows protected the long-range bombers who traveled deep into enemy territory to lay waste to the german war machine and if the Red Tails hadn't done their very difficult and dangerous job back then, how long might the war in Europe have dragged on?
1: Oh, um, I agree. And unfortunately, not everybody, even the people they fought alongside, mm. you know, ostensibly connected, didn't even quite realize how important their impact was. That's why I think that movie's so important.
0: No, absolutely. And, and speaking of which, folks, I realize now it's November 15th, and so... Veterans say 2020 is, is in the rearview mirror. But if you want to watch a really great, if somewhat old-fashioned film that honors those that made the ultimate sacrifice, why don't you head over to Disney Plus and fire up Red Tails, which, interestingly enough, is one of the film titles that the Walt Disney Company acquired when it bought 20th Century Fox back in March of 2019 for seventy three or $71.3 billion, Dan. Ugh. Um Okay. That's, that's, so. not too, that's not too bad day's work,
1: huh?
0: Eh, you know, Iker it, 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 found that mostly on the dresser, you know, the pocket change. That's true. that's true. Okay. Anyway, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode. And, again, I remind you, Dan and I have three more looking at Lucas Lucasfilms to do before we go our separate ways. So if you've got some topic that you'd like the two of us to touch on before then, uh feel free to to send that story suggestion along okay uh but in going meantime, our
1: separate ways that sounds so so final you're still stuck with me dude we're still friends yeah, well we I can't get out of that one little,
0: <laughs> it's called dramatic license dan <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. okay anyway um okay the, the, but speaking of which it's going to be at least two weeks to the next episode so uh, if, if folks can't get enough of you, Dan, where else can they find you online?
1: And there sure, you can Rick- certainly, well, thank you. They, you can certainly find me on coffee with Kenobi each and every week. The podcast is comes out every Thursday. Although during the Mandalorian reviews, we've been putting out two shows a week. Uh, we just had our show with Kyle Newman. I've got a, a great conversation with Steve Sands week coming up very soon that you're going to love. You can find me Monday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live at coffeewithkenobi.com slash live. And then we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffeewithkenobi, where we have an exclusive weekly podcast, CWK Pour Over. And then if you have a blog or a brand of your own that you want to expand or grow, you can check me out at dncmedia.com.
0: Quite the stuff. Okay, uh, now over on... Our side, let's see, we got Disney Dish with Len Testo. We got Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, a gentleman who had a lot of podcasts here. I'm actually recording a new episode of that tomorrow. Uh, let's see, we got um, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Just recorded a brand new episode of that today. Uh, let's see, uh, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Got to record one of those this week. Likewise, a. Uh, uh, I want that with Shelley lead. Um, I'm going to try to get one of those at the door as well. But I'll tell you what, folks. Um, if you could do Dan and I a favor, uh, if you could head over to iTunes and not only recommend Coffee with Kenobi, but if you could also put in a plug or for uh, looking at lupism, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, what would also be helpful, if you really like what you heard here tonight, if to you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, um, Dan, again, always enjoy, uh, you know, seeing what you're up to on Twitter.
1: Uh, how can people find you over there? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R. And by the way, if you, uh, want to pick up a great Star Wars gift for your family or loved ones for mm-hmm. Christmas, be sure to check out the Star Wars book, the book I co-wrote with Pablo Hidalgo and Cole Horton. I,
0: you know, and the, the funny thing is Michelle and I were just working on, uh, again, the, the episode of I Want That, and we were putting together a Christmas book list. And uh, in addition to, of course, <laughs> Drew Taylor's Art of Onward, and I've, yes. I'm looking right now at a copy of The Art of Soul uh, for uh, the Pixar thing that'll drop on Disney+. Plus. But uh, Michelle, all on her own, bought a copy of... You know, the, the star Wars book and we're just raving about it. So we're, we're, we're doing it as part of our Christmas book list. So. Oh,
1: wonderful. Um, well, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. That's appreciate that.
0: Not a problem. Okay. And Nancy, on the other hand, would like to remind you that our side of the social media, if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill media, and also on Facebook at Jim Hill media news. And I guess that's going to do it for now. And I, Apologize if you heard a lot of rain in the background there. Uh, You know, just we seem to have a giant storm moving through. And I'm trying not to be concerned about the guy across the way who's building an ark. I'm sure there's a perfectly logical explanation.
1: That's right. Those two animals are just coincidental.
0: Yeah. There we go.
1: So, all right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. And
0: we'll be back soon.